0: Back here on hump day at the locked on Bucks podcast and big shout out to my co-host James Jarko for holding down the beginning of this episode and beginning of all the episodes this week. uh, Happy that he could do that for me. So he could free up my time to spend all of my time with these fine gentlemen here that I have with you on our ultimate divisional crossover for the middle of the week here for you covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I will start off with Ross Jackson, of the locked on saints and go down the list. Gentlemen, introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Hey, everybody. Ross Jackson here, Locked on Saints. You can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Always a pleasure, guys.
2: Aaron Freeman, host of Locked on Falcons. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S.
3: Billy Rossetti, Locked on Panthers, at Bill underscore Rossetti, R-I-C-C-E-T-T-E on Twitter.
0: Yeah, and of course, Bucks fans, you guys, uh, all of our longtime listeners here at the Locked On Bucks podcast are familiar with all three of these gentlemen, hearing from them twice a year during the regular season, then even more during the offseason as we go through these things. Happy to be back with you, gentlemen, for this ultimate divisional crossover as we get ready, hopefully for training camp and an on-time start to the NFL regular season in 2020. Looking back at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done in this offseason, uh, they made a lot of noise and they've been all over the headlines, all over uh, you know NFL Network and, and for all these moves. I'm going to start with the draft just because we obviously know the big names are coming up in this conversation, but I want to give uh, some time and some time to some of these young guys who deserve it. Tristan Wirfs, obviously that number one pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year in the draft, trading up one spot. I don't think they got fleeced by Johnny Lynch as much as the Bears got fleeced uh, to get their one one spot trade up. <laughs> Hopefully this trade works out a little bit better for the Bucs than it has so far for the Bears. Uh, securing that right tackle spot there, getting Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. A guy coming out of a pro-ready system, and that was a big thing that Jason Light... And uh, Bruce Arians talked about when they met with us after the selection is given all the unknowns back in April. And now as we've seen how this whole thing has developed, they wanted to get a guy on the offensive line that they didn't have to worry about the learning curve as much as they might normally with a rookie. And looking at those quote unquote top four rookies that were coming into the out of the class, Tristan Worst was a guy who comes out of a pro style system uses a lot of the same language, a lot of the same pull techniques, a lot of the same blocking schemes that they use in Tampa. So a guy that even without these rookie camps and these OTAs, they feel like they'll be able to get him up to speed fairly quickly. And if not, they're fairly confident in guys like Joe Hague, a veteran that they added in the offseason, be able to step in for a period of time if need be or if injury were to happen. Of course, Tyler Johnson still staying on the offensive side of the ball is another player the Bucks fans and I think Bucks media are really excited to see coming in, assuming that he's going to fill in that, that third wide receiver role uh, between he and Scotty Miller. They're kind of the two that we expect to kind of duke it out to be uh, that, that next, that third favorite for Tom Brady out of the wide receiver group. And then Keyshawn Vaughn, who was a relative unknown to most of us coming to the NFL draft when the Buccaneers passed over running backs in the second round there, taking the kid out of Vanderbilt. Uh, fortunate enough, we were able to have his running back coach out of Vanderbilt come on the show. He gave us a lot of insight, a lot of good news. And one of the big things that he, he lauded for Keyshawn was being a pro before he actually made it to the NFL. And in these times, again, a lot of off-site work, a lot of studying that these players are going to have to do on their own, that's something that's going to bode well for him. Switching over the defense, that second-round draft pick spent on Antoine Winfield Jr., another, another Minnesota Golden Gopher joining the defense. We'll see how he, uh, how he develops. Definitely a fan favorite, definitely a favorite amongst media members. But we'll see if he can win that starting job or if guys like Mike Edwards, Andrew Adams coming back, or even Dakota Dixon, who, who the Bucks coaching staff had a lot of high hope for before he got injured in the preseason last year. He's coming back healthy, see if he can make some noise. And then uh, Chappelle Russell and Khalil Davis. We'll see what they actually do on the field. If they make it to the field, either way, two great stories anyway. And, oh, I almost forgot one, Raymond Collet, who Bruce Arians called a joystick uh, player, coming in to join that running back group as well as a late-round draft pick, probably uh, contribute to some special teams. Oh, and then, by the way, the Buccaneers brought in Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady. So, gentlemen, looking at what the Buccaneers were able to do last year, primarily in the back half of the season, even with a quarterback in Jameis Winston who was a little bit turnover happy, uh, Aaron Freeman and the Atlanta Falcons were benefactors of – of the latest and greatest one, probably the last one uh, that he'll ever play or ever have in a Buccaneers uniform there in week 17. Given all the changes that have happened this year, where do you – or how do you view the Buccaneers in 2020 compared to how they left 2019?
1: I'm happy to kick us off here. Um, I talked a little bit about this in yesterday's episode. I think that a big conversation around the Bucks is just simply going to be about the lack of cohesion right now going into this weird off season and then into the beginning of the season. How quickly can they learn to communicate with one another? I know they've been already doing workouts and starting to build a little bit of that uh, sort of. That that communication with one another, the trust with one another, the chemistry. I think it's going to be a really big conversation in terms of how successful the Bucks can be here in 2020. Um, you know, I'm mad that the Bucks got two of my favorite running backs in this draft in Von Johnson and Raymond Clay. Raymond Clay, of course, out of Louisiana Tech, so we know him uh, pretty well. We're out of Louisiana, so we know him pretty well. Um, I love seeing those additions because one of my biggest question marks for the for the Bucks has always sort of been what are they doing at the running back position to get a second dimension to this offense? Are they going to be able to do that with Rojo, or are they have, going to have some other guys to fall back on? And they clearly have some other potential options to fall back on. I just think that that's one of those questions that could have been answered and exercised a little bit more. Were there rookie minis, mandatory mini camps, veteran mini camps, OTAs, things like that? The addition of Tyler Johnson and yet another fantastic wide receiver in that offense makes me feel a little, you know, a little nervous, because uh, they've already got some fantastic receiver options over there, even down to the tight end position. So love seeing the addition of Tyler Johnson, who's one of my favorite receivers coming into this draft. So I'm I'm interested in seeing how the Bucks and if the Bucs can pull it all together because certainly they've added a lot of pieces that are gonna contribute to some success over the next couple of years. It's just how quickly can they get it into gear with such a weird offseason.
2: For me, uh, looking at their offseason moves, I I love the Antoine Winfield draft pick. Uh, He was my favorite safety. I'm not saying he was the best safety in the draft class, but he was my favorite safety in this draft class. So um, he was a guy that I feel like is is going to be a successful NFL player for a long time. I know the Bucs have had some instability at that free safety position. So I I I really like his fit there in terms of what he can do. And I think he'll be able to come in pretty quickly and and impact right away in that secondary um, that, you know, has a lot of young pieces there going for obviously the big move with Tom Brady. I'm not necessarily as concerned about, like, I don't, I don't see the Gronk move moving the needle as much as maybe other people see it uh, in terms of their off season. I, you know, I think Gronk is a good player, but I, I just don't know a year removed and, you know, the, the talk of like, oh, he took a year off, and so he'll be healthier this year than he was when he ended his career. But I, I, I don't know if you're going to really get it back at, at his age. And they already have a talented young tight end in O.J. Howard. And then you factor in Bruce Arian's offense doesn't really feature the tight end in a major way. So it's like, then what's the point of bringing Gronk? But those are questions I have. Obviously, the big move with Tom Brady is going to be, uh, whether or not he can cut down on the turnovers. I mean, the Bucs turned the ball over 41 times last year, and a lot of those were on Jameis Winston, and that's 19 more than the league average, and we know turnovers are a stat that tends to regress to the mean from year to year. So it's one of those things where if the Bucks could score as many points as they did last year with all those turnovers, and if they get a quarterback like Tom Brady who rarely turns the ball over, particularly relative to Jameis Winston – you know, what does that mean for their offense? But I think with the questions that Ross raised with all these pieces, with all these weapons, particularly the passing game, I've heard many people talk about whether or not because of the limitations this off season that you have with, in terms of installing your passing game and getting guys ready, you know, specifically it seems like if you're integrating new pieces into your passing game with the Tom Brady's, with the Gronks, with the Tyler Johnson's, and trying to get them all on the same page to the already established core receivers that you already have you know can they hit the ground running as early this season as uh, they potentially could in a normal offseason so I think those are some questions I have about this Bucks team but I think so far I think they they address some of their key needs: the offensive line the quarterback position free safety position those were I believe areas of concern that we all discussed on the February episode and I feel like with worse with Winfield with Brady they were able to address those holes
3: yeah and then that's a key point too like getting off the ground and obviously that week 1 game is huge for Tampa Bay. I mean they're jumping right out of the gate at New Orleans and then um you know they have the Broncos early, the Chargers early, Packers week 6. So they've got some pretty key games uh early in the season there to really kind of gauge how how quickly they're going to they're going to come together. But um I'm on the same note as Aaron uh in regards to Antoine Winfield I just thought this kid was such a versatile safety he was was just so good you know he had the injury issues at Minnesota but when he was healthy I mean he could play all over the field he had tremendous ball skills uh, a lot of good speed so really excited to see how they fit him in if he cracks the starting lineup early Um, Tristan Wirfs uh, we we joked about the the trade earlier with the Bears Uh, fortunately for the Buccaneers there's no there was no more elite tackles in this draft uh, to fall back on to say like, Oh, well they could have drafted so-and-so. Well, we were all in agreement that there were four top tackles in this draft and worfs was the fourth one taken. The other three were already gone by the time the Buccaneers made their pick. So for- fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, we can't, <laughs> can't make that joke, but uh, love the worfs pick, you know, like David said, uh, Coming from Iowa, pro, you know, some would argue most pro ready. Some obviously would argue that, um, that the, the, as I'm drawing a blank on the, the kid the Giants took, Austin Jackson, um, I'm probably, I'm probably confusing him. Yeah, Austin I'm just Jackson went to, to Miami. I think was, did I, they yeah, take, I'm, I um, know I was confusing him with Miami. No, that was the Jets. That was the Jets. Um, Well, then it was either Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas, Andrew Andrew Thomas. Thomas, Yes. Let's go through the entire first
2: round and and try to pick all these offensive tackles because so many went in the round one. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Which it wound up being expected that a bunch were going to. Um, And as soon as I said Austin Jackson, I in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "No, you idiot! That's the Miami. That's the kid that went to Miami." um but yeah some would argue that Andrew Thomas was the most pro ready some would argue that Tristan works was but you know just the fact that they were able to get an offensive tackle which i think a lot of us were pretty set that they that offensive tackle was their biggest need in round 1 especially after they got Tom Brady so this is obviously all in you know th- this team is all in on 2020 and 2021 i mean you're giving 50 million dollars to Tom Brady and um I mean, he's locked in for two years, right? and I, this this is the window, right? because they're not franchise tagging him. they I believe they have it in the contract that they can't franchise tag him after he becomes a free agent. So they're pushing all their ships into the table and I mean, and I, I touched on this yesterday when we, we talked about the Falcons versus the Buccaneers, there's just a lot of talent on this offense um, with the wide receivers. And, I mean, they have a pretty good offensive line. I mean, Ryan Jensen quietly is one of the better centers in this league. Alex Kappa and Ali Marpet are quietly two of the better guards in this league. You know, the question I do have a little bit is on Donovan Smith at left tackle. But um, I'll also follow up on my – we, we um, threw Ric Flair in earlier when we talked about the Saints – I think there's another WWE reference here because I mean we've got a former champ. We have a we have a WWE champion on this team, Rob Gronkowski, yeah, sure. twenty four former twenty four seven champion, and won in it at WrestleMania. So there's your water cooler fun fact for the day that That's Gronk right. is. And I would have loved to have seen him take that belt into the end.
1: I had know? hoped that he would keep it going into the NFL season, and that somebody yep. during the NFL season would take him. And then all of a sudden, it would just exist within the NFL.
3: Can you imagine if Gronk would have been the champion and scored a touchdown, and then Marshawn Lattimore tackles him and pins him in the end zone, and he becomes the champion?
1: Exactly, it would have been fantastic cross promotion. <laughs> but you know, obviously, the marketing in on top of their stuff right now, so uh-huh. they went ahead and gave it to somebody else. But yes, Rob Gronkowski did go away and have a, to have a. Average wrestling career over a year before he came back.
3: <laughs> yep, it wound up being a pretty quiet. But um, yeah, so, so bottom line, obviously, there's a lot of hype, deservedly so, on the Buccaneers, and um, kind of similar to the Falcons, when we were saying like this is a key season for them and how much potential they have. These are probably two of the teams in the entire NFC that could really benefit from the fact now that we have an extra playoff team you know that uh that that's now that we have seven playoff teams and you look at the landscape of the nfc and we can probably write off some of these teams pretty quickly but you can probably narrow it down to a a select group of teams that are probably going to battle it out because we've already agreed that the saints are probably going to win the division again but now that you've got three wild card spots to fight for and some of these nfc teams outside the south there's not a lot of them that I think are really going to compete with, um, with the Falcons and the bucks for the, for these spots. So it's, it's a good chance. I, I'd say it's a pretty decent chance that you're going to see three playoff teams out of this division. I could certainly see the bucks getting one of those top wild, those top card spots, possibly the fifth seed. And then you can definitely see the Falcons competing for that seventh seed. or yeah, excuse me, that seventh seed, you know, they were seven and nine, and they were only three and four in one lost game. So they turn that around, get to really probably only have to win two more games to get to nine, and they could be in that seventh spot. So, yeah, this is a uh, – and, yeah, sorry, Panthers fans. Spoiler alert, mm-hmm. I don't think the Panthers are going to be anywhere near the playoffs this year. But I I think this could be a three-team uh, – three-playoff team division.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could I could definitely see it happening too. And And you guys have already kind of touched on it, but that whole – you know, the reason that Tom Brady was brought in, Uh, you know obviously you want to win a championship i think every nfl locker room comes in every season saying the goal is to win a championship in order to do so you got to get to the playoffs and the buccaneers feel like you know they were a handful or a baker's dozen away of turnovers to from making it to the playoffs in 2019 so you know while you remove the 5,000 yards passing the 33 touchdowns you're also removing the 30 interceptions so if tom brady can come and throw for you know, somewhere between thirty-eight and forty-two hundred yards, twenty-five touchdowns, but only ten interceptions. Then I think you're net po- you're you're getting a net positive there in that exchange. And then, of course, if the running game gets going, the defense, uh, if they can build off of the last half of two thousand nineteen, which was really strong for them, returning pretty much all of their starters from last year. And I know we're we're supposed to talk here about where the Buccaneers fit into the NFC South, but I think we covered that pretty well in the Falcons episode. For, so, for any of you Bucks fans who are listening to this for the first time this week, go back to our Tuesday episode. Uh, where Aaron Freeman led the conversation about the Atlanta Falcons and all four of us kind of weighed in on where the Falcons and Bucks stacked up in the NFC South. So guys, I want to kind of take that time that we're supposed to talk about that and really kind of ask you, because the last time we did this, uh, you guys referenced in February, it was what if, you know, James Winston leaves? What if Tom Brady decides to leave New England? What could possibly happen? Well, now we have those answers. Tom Brady is here. The Bucks fan base is split. Uh, Some of them feel like the Buccaneers gave up on James Winston too early. A lot of them feel like they never really set him up for success to begin with going all the way back to when Dirk Cutter won in Marcus Mariota, not Jameis Winston. They basically forced Jameis Winston on to Dirk Cutter uh, and then tied his head coaching aspirations to that player. Um, and then going into the offensive line problems, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of Bucks fans who feel like they gave up too early. And now the future is in question because Tom Brady is not the future of this team, He's not the future of any team. Um, but then there's also some who say, you know what, forget all that. If we get one ring out of it, if we get two deep playoff runs out of it. It's worth it. We'll worry about quarterback later there's already there's always a Trevor Lawrence on the horizon somewhere about to blow up the NFL scene so we'll worry about that later where do you guys sit now that the dust has settled as far as did the Buccaneers make the right move uh, for today and for tomorrow or do you or where do you think that they should have gone uh, in your in, as far as quarterback's concerned
1: I think that's a that's a tough question to answer at this time but what I will say is what you're looking at really isn't even just the two years with Tom Brady. You kind of have to tack on a third year with that because with Tom Brady, you're not falling early enough in your draft to grab one of the top quarterbacks in the, you know, in the, let's say 2021, 2022 draft. Right. So you really kind of have to look to the draft after that, I would imagine because Tom Brady in his second year, next year in 2021, you're probably at worst going to finish up just beyond the middle of the draft. So you could still get a good quarterback there. I mean, we saw the, the green Bay Packers trade up and grab uh, Jordan love late. And I like Jordan love. So I don't, I don't mind that trade. So there's, there's some value there, but if you're more concerned about the future, then yeah, Tom Brady feels like a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a stopgap in terms of between or, or a barrier between where you want to get for the future. But if you're trying to, you know, if you're a fan that's just trying to get a ring, trying to see your team get a ring right now, then it's perfect. Um, I think that, you know, I've watched a team for, you know, my entire life go through something similar to this, to where they continue to put the chips all in one place with the same quarterback and drew Brees, who's now going into his 20th year in the NFL, six, uh, uh, 20th year in the NFL. You look at the way that they've kind of done this. And I've, you know, I've seen lots of saints fans ask, you know, well, what do we do about quarterback of the future? What do they do about quarterback of the future? Because the saints are going to keep winning outside of those 2014 through 16 seasons. And it's, it's, you can see that it's, they found other ways to make it work. They were able to grab a guy like Jameis Winston here in the off season. Thank you, David. They were able to find a guy like Taysom Hill, who a lot of people believe in, who I don't think is going to turn into a starting quarterback, but has turned into a fantastic piece for them by grabbing somebody off of another practice squad. So you just never really know exactly how it's going to work out. As far as I'm concerned, I think this, I think the bucks made a decent choice and saying, Hey, we really like what Jameis Winston has to offer, but unfortunately the tools aren't quite there in terms of the style that we want in this offense. So instead we're going to go grab the greatest quarterback of all time and put him on his up. Like, it's hard to argue with that. And so I I personally don't have any trouble with what the bucks did. I think that they did what they needed to do in order for the organization to feel like it was in a position to win. And I don't, I don't, I don't carry any or Harbor any resentment for that idea.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm with Ross on, on that one. I, I think, you know, when you look at this bucks, a franchise and if i'm correct me if i'm wrong david the bucks haven't won a playoff game since they won the super bowl back in 2002 you would so, be incredibly correct about that yes so you know they've been in a long playoff drought so making i mean they haven't made the playoffs since 2007 so it's one of those things where just making the playoffs you know under tom brady would be a huge accomplishment if they can get to the second round of the playoffs under Tom Brady, that's a huge accomplishment, you know, that hasn't really been achieved by this organization for nearly two decades. So I, I feel like the idea of essentially punting on sort of the long-term, you know, finding your Matt Ryan, finding your Cam Newton, finding your Drew Brees, that's going to be your starting quarterback for the next, you know, 10 plus years or whatever that number is, um, you know, if, if the Bucks are making that trade-off for the short-term gains of, just winning a playoff game, you know, as, as a starting point, and, and obviously they, they want to get more than that um, over the next two years. I think that's a, a welcome trade-off for this specific organization. You know, if they had been in like a three-year playoff drought or something like that, maybe you would question that, that decision-making uh, right now. But I, I think in terms of what Tom Brady's going to bring, you know, I, I feel like as we've discussed many times, I think it's, it's fair to, question how much is left in the tank how much can ex- be expected from him in this first year given the tr- truncated off season? but uh, obviously they have basically a two-year rental of him and you know they brought in Bruce a- like Bruce Arians didn't come back t- to, to be in a long-term rebuilding project he, he didn't or at least my perception of Bruce Arians hire was not to oh let me facilitate a five or six year rebuild for this Bucks team. It was I'm being hired to fix Jameis Winston to get that guy over the hump in order to get this team into the postseason, And so that we can potentially make a run at this thing that didn't work out for them in 2019. Obviously they had an opportunity to get a, you know, once in a generation, you know, once in a multi-generation type of uh, quarterback in, in Tom Brady, who's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, and that's a rare opportunity. No one, I don't think anybody should fault the Bucs for trying to do what the Broncos did, you know, earlier this decade uh, and, and getting Peyton Manning and and it ultimately led to them um, winning a Super bowl uh, under his guidance. So I think the Bucks hoping that, you know, history can repeat itself. Lightning can strike twice in Tampa makes a lot of sense for me. So to me, while I am also a fan of Jameis and, and feel like Jameis you know, didn't necessarily get a fair shake. I don't feel like that feeling overwhelmed sort of the decision that the Bucks made this offseason season by essentially going all in on Tom Brady for the next two years uh, moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I,
3: I, th- I think they kind of went the same way as well. They, I think they almost had to move on from, from James Winston. I know that was a tough call with, you know, 5,000 yards, but 30 interceptions is always going to, linger on some on some people in, in decisions like this. When you have the opportunity to get a guy like Tom Brady, you go after. Now, you know, to play devil's advocate a little bit, like I kind of did yesterday with Matt Ryan, spoiler alert. Um, and I think Aaron kind of touched on it a l- little bit too. How much does he have in the tank? I mean, let's not forget. I mean, the guy is 43 years old. Father time has to catch up with him. At some point, you know it's been. Listen, it's been incredible to watch this guy beat Father Time for for this long. I mean, it's incredible that, you know, at, at 42 years old, he's still putting up the the numbers and throwing the way he did. And you could certainly argue now that he has better receivers than he did last year, maybe even the last couple of years, depending on how you view uh, some of the receivers outside of Julian Edelman. But now that he's throwing to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tyler Johnson, um, even all three of those tight ends, you know, it's, it's not just Gronk, And and that's something I think we touched on this earlier too. Like OJ Howard was on the trade block for a little bit. He's going to be a key cog in case Rob Gronkowski goes down and he's going to be a still a really good target for Tom Brady. So they've surrounded him with what he needs to make this push it's like we've all touched on this is a a two-year all-in project now as far as the future you know i'm just taking a look at some of the names even like for next year's class that may be later in the first round or later in the draft that they can get if they so choose to to go that route and get a success for, for for tom brady whether they want to look at someone like brock purdy of iowa state or tanner morgan of minnesota kyle trask of florida or even if you wait till 2022, you know, Sam Howell is the big up and comer out of uh, North Carolina. Keaton Slovis is another big up and comer out of uh, USC. JT Daniels is a, is a really strong quarterback who's now transferring to actually, I don't, at the time of recording this, I don't think he's announced where he's transferring to, but we know he's transferring from USC. So, I mean, they're going to have options over the next couple of years to replace Tom Brady. Clearly right now they're, they're not thinking about the future. They're trying to, get to the playoffs, and just win as many playoff games as possible. And if they happen to win a Super Bowl, then tremendous. Their plan worked. If they don't win the Super Bowl, well, I still, still think it's a, a success if they can make to the playoffs. Because as we mentioned, I mean, it's been 13 years since they made the playoffs. Buccaneers fans just want a taste of the playoffs, I imagine. And Tom Brady will more than likely give them that, if not next year, then almost certainly next year.
0: Yeah, great insight from you guys, as always. I think the big question is going to be Tom Brady and his durability in his throwing arm for one and then behind that offensive line. Uh, Good news for Bucs fans, though, is that if Tom Brady does have to go out for any extended period of time, uh, they have former Jaguars, 49ers, Cardinals, and Titans great Blaine Gabbert sitting behind him as the the backup. So that's going to wrap up this segment, guys. We're going to move into our next segment where my fellow uh, esteemed NFC South Locked On Podcast host gets to throw some questions at me and make me explain everything that Jason Light and Bruce Arians did in the 2020 offseason here on our Ultimate Divisional Crossover Week at the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, guys, wrapping up your Wednesday here on the Locked On Bucks podcast with our Ultimate Divisional Crossover here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Gentlemen, uh, now is your opportunity to make me tell you why these moves make sense. If you have any questions or if you have any holes, Uh, that you still feel like the Buccaneers did not address. Uh, Let's, let's start off. Actually, let's, let's kick off with Bill. We've been going top to bottom. Let's, let's go bottom to top, not by host uh, status necessarily, but team status. (laughs) So Bill, uh, let's, let's kick it off with you.
3: Something I was thinking about too, when, you know, even just kind of looking at these numbers and looking at the Warrens, and I've mentioned this before, I've been getting some of this stuff from the Warren sharp guide that just dropped the other day. Fantastic reference. Um, just picked it up the other day, just so much to it. And um, I mentioned earlier about the Falcons when talking about their possible turnaround and how they went three and four in one score games. Well, the Buccaneers were three and six in one score games. And you mentioned, Dave, of course, about the defense, how much better they played in the second half. Is there a possibility of that momentum building and then they could turn some of those one score losses into wins? Like how what do you think is going to be the process to help them win some of those games to give them, to likely give them a better shot at the, you know, cause even if you turn say two of those six losses into wins, that's nine wins right there from last year. And more than likely nine and seven will probably get into playoffs three of those, turn three of those six losses into wins. You're at 10 and six and you almost certainly are going to be in the playoffs. So what's going to be the key to kind of turning that stuff around for Tampa?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously where where the team did well, they've got to continue to do well, and that that starts with, you know, the offensive line. The Buccaneers offensive line has gotten a lot of grief over the years, Donovan Smith specifically, and now he's catching even more flack after coming out and saying that he has concerns about playing in a COVID-19 America and taking that illness back home to his his family and his young child. Uh, which I think is perfectly fair, but that's, that's really going to be where it all kind of uh, – where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? If, if the offensive line can't protect Tom Brady, they can't give him even three seconds in the pocket to find a receiver or to negotiate the defense, then uh, th- then we're going to have a problem there. And then after that, you know, guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, we already know from the years of, of covering them and dealing with them, these are not two guys who are going to come in and say, well – we're uh, we you know, we're a 1,000-yard receiving tandem, all-pro caliber tandem, best wide receiver duo in the National Football League, according to many experts. So we're good. No, they're going to come out, they're going to grind, they're going to work uh, day in, day out. Mike Evans is a guy who typically reserves his offseason for his family, but even he is out there at some of those private workouts with Tom Brady because he understands uh, what this opportunity means. He understands the work that needs to be put in, especially missing some of those OTAs and then you know, the late training camp and, and all that stuff going in. So really that's going to be what it, you know, this team knows what they can do well for coming from 2019. Uh, the defense got better, especially the back half of the defense. The front seven is, is completely intact and they know they need to come in and they need to fire off early. Starting off there in the Superdome, they need to get after Drew Brees as quickly as possible. You're probably not going to sack him. Drew Brees, That's I mean, uh, for, for a quarterback who's not, you know, a Lamar Jackson, a Pat Mahomes mobile type, he's probably the hardest pocket passer to sack in the National Football League because he's just – so intelligent and just has such a quick release. So it's, it's less about making uh, um, getting to his body necessarily and putting him on the ground as much as it is not giving guys like Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, time to work into the deeper parts of their routes and get separation from those young, uh, young secondary members. So as long as they build or continue what they're good at, they can build on where their weaknesses were in 2019, which is turnovers, man. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers gave away more than two games worth, of possessions to opponents last year. You cannot do it. You cannot give away two games in the National Football League and expect to be a playoff team. So like you were saying, Bill, getting those two wins, if you don't give away those two games, maybe that makes you nine and seven, makes maybe it makes you eight and eight. If you take away even more, again, if you're if your defense isn't playing from behind, teams are forced to throw the ball more, you get sacks, you get strip fumbles or sack fumbles, you get interceptions. Maybe you're taking away a half a game from your opponent versus giving away two games. All those things bleed into it. Um, I think that's what they've got to do to build on that momentum they had at the last part of the season that was thwarted, thwarted by those uh, turnovers.
2: I thought you were going to say thwarted by Dion Jones, but uh, yeah,
0: I mean, Dion and Dion, I'm such a fan of Dion too. I had him on our podcast uh, during his, his draft buildup. Such a great dude to talk to. I'm pretty sure Quan Alexander was actually with him while they were talking because I made a Quan comment and I heard a nice celebratory yell in the background, but yeah, Dion is definitely one of my favorites.
2: David, my, my question is about the secondary. And I think one of the reasons why people can be a little bit more optimistic about the Bucks heading into 2020 than, say, the Falcons, which we touched upon, as you mentioned, this topic on yesterday's uh, ultimate divisional crossover. But the Bucs' defense played much, much better in 2019 than the Falcons' defense did. And a big part of that was the turnaround that the Bucks secondary had with a bunch of young players – they didn't do what the saints did this offseason season and go out and get some veteran players. They even got younger this offseason. I'm curious to see, are you confident that that secondary is going to be able to hold up um, for this team, particularly if they get into, you know, some of these shootouts against, um, you know, not only their NFC South opponents, but also, you know, they face the, the Kansas city chiefs this year, as well as other teams in the NFC North. Um uh, I'm, I'm wondering, are, how, how, how confident are you that the secondary can sort of pick up where they left off last year?
0: Uh, I don't know how confident I am. I wouldn't say I'm not confident, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm, I'm completely confident. I guess if I had to put it on like a 10 scale, I'd probably say a seven. I mean, the, the talent is there, uh, but the youth of the group is just is concerning to me. And, and I'm one of the people that went on record during the offseason saying that I felt like the Buccaneers needed to bring in some veteran leadership, uh, some more experience into the locker room in the secondary if they could the problem is when you do that you know you mess with a lot of that chemistry and if it's a guy uh you know logan ryan was a name that a lot of buccaneers fans threw around there well logan Ryan's not coming in to be a senior mentor he's coming in to be a starter on your defense and once you slide him in there opposite of carlton davis well now you're knocking a couple other guys down the pegs jamel dean sean murphy bunting how is that going to impact their play how is that going to impact the the chemistry of the unit as a whole so i can see why the buccaneers decided to, to ride forward with the group that they have but Every time you talk about young guys, I mean, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy Bunty, Mike Edwards, Andrew Adams, they're all extremely young guys asking four or five young defensive players to not have slumps coming into their next season is really hard to do. And if even two of those guys come in and slump early, it's going to be a huge problem. Um, Adding Antoine Winfield Jr. obviously adds young talent to the group. But again, this is a, a young man who's got NFL pedigree. He played in a Power Five conference and all those things are, are valuable, don't get me wrong. But he's not a guy who's been in the NFL. He doesn't know how, how the NFL game works uh, from, from a personal experience standpoint quite yet. And then with the, with the truncated offseason and preseason preparation times, um, that's only going to hurt his development not going to help it. It uh, doesn't mean he can't be a contributor to the team. I just, if, if you ask me in a vacuum how confident I would be in a defense placing so much weight and pressure and, and riding so much on the shoulders of five young defensive backs, I would never, ever recommend that to be a, a strong, solid strategy going into the offseason. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out. The guys definitely have talent. It's just going to be a matter of how quickly they can get back on stride from where they were at the end of last year and then
1: whether or not they can maintain it through the entire season. That's actually a really great lead up to to my question which I think will be pretty quick but you know if you do find the Bucs getting into those shootout situations particularly here in the NFC south you know you mentioned Tom Brady if he has a good season throwing you know 28 touchdowns and and just 10 interceptions so my question a little bit uh, goes a little bit toward that in if you do end up in those shootouts and the bucks do end up in those shootouts, how confident are you in Tom Brady's sort of experience, not experience, excuse me, but Tom Brady's ability at this point in his career to hold up in those shootouts.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident about it. And I think it's, it's Tom Brady's football IQ that really does it for me. You know, Jameis uh, the, the thing that we've loved about Jameis his entire time in Tampa. And the thing that you're going to learn to love in new Orleans, if you guys are don't already just knowing him from Tampa is his ability, his willingness, and his desire to strike and strike fast. Um, But, you know, when you talk about complementary football, sometimes it's not the best thing in the world. If if the New Orleans Saints take a 13-play drive, you know, eat seven minutes off the clock and just absolutely gas your defense all the way down the field for a touchdown, you come out and you strike fast, you strike deep, and you score in three plays well, one, your defense hasn't had any time to rest. Your defense hasn't had any time to adjust to what the Saints' offense is doing. So now they're going right back on the field. They're more tired than they were before the last drive, and they haven't had time to adjust their strategies. Meanwhile, Drew Brees is going, okay, cool. Thanks for, thanks for putting me ahead of the power curve instead of behind the power curve here. Whereas a guy like Tom Brady is going to understand that, hey, if our defense just spent 60% of the first half on the field, we need to come out here in the second half. We might be down three. We might be down seven. We might, might even be down 10. But it's important for us to not only make up room on the scoreboard in the third quarter, but also give our guys time to rest, to hydrate, to talk on the sideline, to look over some of those screenshots and those tablets and understand how they need to adjust their strategy. And that's how the offense can help the defense in some of those shootouts is uh, by not only answering right, matching touchdown for touchdown, but also maybe slowing down the pace of the game for their defense. So they have time to get those fluids and, and get all those things going. I think that's where Tom Brady is. He's a guy that, you know, two minutes left in the game down by three, he can get you down the field in three or four plays if you need him to. But at the same time, if you're in a real big shootout, he understands how to slow the pace of the game, but still make plays that, that net positivity for your team and put you in position to score. All right, guys. So we're uh, pretty much up to the end of our time allotment. James is going to kill me for running long. But I do have one more question. So recently, I'm sure James has already uh, addressed this with our listeners. Uh, Shaquille Barrett uh was a guy who's been in the news recently you know is he going to sign his tag is he not going to sign his tag everybody in Tampa media has been telling everybody calm down he's going to sign his tag don't worry about that he did in fact accept his franchise tag however he and his agent did file a grievance with the NFL through the NFLPA asking to be tagged as a defensive end instead of a linebacker because it's about a 2 million dollar difference um guys I want to ask you real quick I know we're we're up against the clock again so not too deep but basically Two answers. Do you think that Shaq Barrett should win that grievance? And then do you think he will win that grievance?
2: Uh, I will say should. Yes. Uh, it's, it's been too long that we're still lumping guys defensive end versus linebackers, there's edge rushers, there's interior defensive linemen, and then there's off ball linebackers. I know Bill knows, you know, draft Twitter has been on that for now like six or seven years um waiting for the rest of the world to catch up to that so he should win it will he you know what do we do when we do these ultimate divisional crossovers we 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 talk about some recent decision that the nfl has made that doesn't make any sense and complain about it so you know as as far as will he win that grievance who knows at this point
3: yeah i agree i think he should because he was a sack master last year but he probably won't because they'll probably take a look at the Bucks roster and be like, Oh well he's listed as an outside linebacker, therefore you're gonna get tagged as a linebacker. So he'll he'll probably end up losing that case. But yeah, they, they should just make it edge franchise tag because it's just too too much grouped together between mm-hmm. D and outside linebacker.
1: Yeah. I agree with you guys. I think that he should, but he won't. Um, I, I kind of have seen this from personal experience. Jimmy Graham had a similar situation. He was getting franchise tagged He wanted to be tagged as a wide receiver, but obviously he played the tight end position. A little bit easier there that conversation because of the fact that he clearly lined up at tight end. Uh, but one of the big conversations that was always had was which which when they say all right wide receivers, let's head to the wide receiver room, tight ends, let's head to the tight end room. Which room do you go into? I think that's going to be part of what they're also going to argue with Shaq Barrett. And I think that that could be a deciding factor. So if he had set linebacker room and if he is uh, classified as a linebacker on that Tampa Bay roster, the NFL is going to do everything that they can to make sure that the team pays him whatever is the lesser amount and stick him with that linebacker tag.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think he definitely should get it. Don't think he's going to get it, but guys, that's going to wrap up today's episode of the locked on bucks podcast. And this edition of the Uh, Ultimate NFC South divisional crossover for preseason 2020. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your time and for joining me. We'll kick it back over now to James Yarko to wrap up the rest of this episode.